Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host, always, Edward Jones. And joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello! On tonight's episode, we look at the early 2000s punk rock Yakuza vs. Zombies movie that is versus from Ryu Kiramura. Uh, but before we obviously get into that, it's time to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, since the last episode, what has been holding your interest? So there's a couple of things i'd like to talk about that i've been watching um both come from manga sources which is interesting i okay. read a lot of manga but i have done um so the first one um so if there was one manga author i could say genuinely i was into um it would be junji ito um whose work inspired one of my favorite films it's in one of our Top 50s is Ujimaki, um Spiral, um, hmm. which is Peter which is where I first discovered him. Uh, love it. Um, he's also got an ongoing series of stories about a character called Tomi, who's basically a girl that people fall in love with and then they end up killing her because they love her so much and then she gets resurrected, which has been the basis of four or five films. Yeah, about to say there's been quite a few films uh, based on, on that one and obviously Spiral had its uh, live, ac- mm. live action adaptation as well. So, so this, is, this, is a, um, this is a weird one. So Terracotta, who are one of the... Um, sort of one of the distributors of, of Asian cinema here in the UK, a few years ago bought a few properties to put under a sub-label they called Terracotta. Get it? Um, which included Death Bell, which I know is one of your favourites, Elwood. Yeah. Um, and then a weird Danny Pang one called The Fairy Tale Killer, starring Sean Lau, and... Oh, I can't... Yeah, that was a little more problematic, <laughs> that one was. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a very good Danny Pang movie um, at all. And I can't think what else, but, you know, a, a handful of movies. And interestingly, they basically... Um, published an OVA of a Junji Ito um, sort of an OVA adaptation of Junji Ito story called Gyo uh, which they uh, subtitled Tokyo Fish Attack Oh, suddenly I was wondering why that name seemed familiar to myself and now I know it's the Damn Sharks and Spider Legs anime isn't it? It is, so um, yeah like I say, I I got the um, I got the manga collection a few years ago, and it's not something I particularly resonated with me. Um, the the story is basically there's a couple, there's there's um there's a, there's a young in love couple. Um, the girl in the story's got super sense of smell, and she smells this horrible this horrible stink, and then this horrible stink is followed up by, well, fish attacking, um, that are on some on, on like robotic legs, and they attack, and the sort of the, the I guess the the big thing is is that 
not just fish, it's sharks as well, and sharks, walking sharks, or very, um, if you're scared of jaws, that really amps it up to 11, um, and then stuff goes down, and, um, yeah, it's a kind of depressing one, but lots of Dungito's work is, is kind of, um, depressing. Anyway, they sort of sponsored this OVA, which went from being 25 minutes to 71 minutes, so it's almost sort of feature length, I guess, well, it is feature length, 71 minutes, um, it does some weird things, like switches the protagonists around. So now it's the story of the young girl instead of the guy. And um, they cut a load out. I mean, it, it's absolutely fine. Um, I, I've had it for years on my um, pile. I must have picked it up at some point. Um, whether you dig it or not, I think it's whether you can dig the central conceit of sharks and and other fish walking around on spider legs the the reasons are a bit nah it's not it's not it's not very convincing but it's it's kind of fun and for 70 odd minutes it's um it's entertaining it certainly tries to pick although it flips the genders of the main characters around it certainly tries to do everything that's in the uh manga the manga's collected into two books i think here in the uk and yeah anything bajanji so is always worth looking at although this one Possibly as an idea beyond his, um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's probably not his greatest idea, but it, it's kind of fun. Um, the other film I picked up was something I've had on my list for ages, and it's kind of confusing because it goes under a multitude of names. Um, and I'm just trying to think what it's called, right? Okay, so. I found it in the very suspiciously Chinese-sounding name, Love and Murder of Sheep and Wolf. Um, it's a Japanese film, but that, that sounds like there's a lot of romantic comedies that talk about sheep and wolf in from Taiwan, which are obviously their yeah. character traits. But yeah, Love and Murder of Sheep and Wolf. It is also based on a manga, and the manga is called Anna Satsujin, or Peep, Peep, Peep Hole, I think it is, or Peep Show. I think it, it means, um, yeah. The, so it says live act. Basically, it's a it's a live action um, version of this of this sort of popular, although not very highly thought of anime. The 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 high concept is there's this fella, young lad, didn't get into university. He's feeling um, he's basically locked himself away. He's one of these Hikamori characters. Um, one day decides to end it all by hanging himself. He's particularly useless at that literally tries to hang himself from four foot against the wall. He's not even tall enough to hang himself. Anyway, his failed suicide attempt means that he um, rips a hole in the wall behind him, which gives him a peephole into his neighbour's apartment. Um, his neighbour, of course, is a beautiful young girl, and he, and he gets a bit of a thrill about sort of peeping in on her. You know, so, so far, so very um, Takashi... Not Takashi uh, Miike, right? Um... And then one day he spots her killing somebody, <laughs> uh, and he's intrigued by this. And well, wacky hijinks ensue, and it turns out she's a serial killer. They fall in love with each other, and it's yeah, it's like this really sort of cutesy, cutesy Japanese rom-com. Except she's a serial killer, and a pretty unashamed one at that. Um, I don't know the manga. I did some reading up on it. It seems to be one of these ones with about 200 episodes. And frankly, it goes off the rails quite early on. But this this 
seems to sort of match the sort of the first act of the manga. Yeah, it's a little bit of a treat. Um, I'm not sure it's something anyone's ever going to come across by accident. Um, it's more interesting than sort of the random names because th- there is um there's a South Korean film called My Girlfriend's a Serial Killer, um, which is equally cutesy, although it's it, it it plays with you about whether she's a serial killer or not. There's no question here. This girl kills people in broad daylight, and it's got some rather entertaining sort of sub characters where uh, the cleaner basically she's basically paid by uh, one of these sort of cleaners to uh, kill people and supply corpses because in this day and age that's what people need human corpses. Um, yeah, it's it's all right. It's quite funny, quite cute. Um, morally dubious. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, both yeah, they're both sort of okay movies, both based on but sort of morally dubious sources. But yeah, fairly entertaining. That's it. Okay, uh, very good. The as for myself, just the one because it's been a real sort of mixed bag of a week. So I can certainly rave about uh, films which are non-Asian cinema, such as, you know, like uh, Brandon Lynch's... um, Not Brandon Lynch. um, Brandon Cronenberg's uh, Possessor, Mm -hmm. which I urge you all to go and check out. It's uh, basically Inception with added body horror, as uh, he shows that he's uh, picked up his father's flair for body horror, but, of course, nothing to do with Asian cinema. So that's uh, just my recommend anyway because I just uh, want to tell everyone to go and check out Possessor because it was great um, however I did uh, check out some Asian cinema I checked out Kathy Yan's debut Dead Pigs from 2018 um, a four prong story and um, this one's currently over on Mumbai. I believe that they're handling the distribution for it so you can it's a long time stay on their distribute on their uh, streaming platform so you can check it out there but basically it uh, follows a pig farmer a busboy a salon owner and an expat architect um, as well as a rich girl whose paths basically cross over the course of this an event for a couple of weeks as uh, dead pigs start to float down the um, Yangtze River um heading towards uh, shanghai and it's basically how their stories all end up basically interlinking where we got the pig farmer who's run himself into debt after a an investment has gone astray um his sister who's a salon owner is basically hanging on to the last property in this district that they're trying to knock down so that they can make way for this big uh, housing project being handled uh, by the english architect who's uh, basically uh, got to try and talk him into him and the pig farmer's son meanwhile um is working as a bus boy and he falls to this uh, rich girl and ends up um forming his own get rich scheme where he basically throws himself in front of cars and then blackmails the drivers into giving him money so he can help try and pay off his father's debts it's an okay movie um i have to say that um certain stories are stronger than others in the in it and it certainly felt that it could have uh, done with about half an hour hacked off it which seems to be a running theme with a lot of films that i watch that gone far too uh, long but vivian Wu, who plays uh, the salon owner candy wang is absolutely phenomenal in this film and i think her performance alone makes it uh, really worth watching even though it does descend into a random musical moment at the end that i'm still not sure why but she's um 
yeah, she's just this flamboyant sort of salon owner whose staff members are seen doing like calisthenics, and she lives by this proverb that there are no ugly women, just lazy women, uh, while at the same time having a sideline and keeping honing pigeons. So I think it's an interesting film. I don't know if you'll get more out of it, Stephen, because you like your melodrama. So I, I haven't seen it. I saw I saw it at Mumbai. Um, so it was exec produced by uh, Jia Zhangqi, um, uh, sort of regular listeners of this show. Remember, he was the director of A Touch of Sin. So I kind of assumed it would be a little more heavy, um, hev- heavier than, than the film you've described. And of course, she's also that she went on from that to direct um, the Harley Quinn Birds of Prey movie, didn't she? <laughs> she did, and that was sort of like a big uh, draw for myself, and I think that certainly when you look at Harley Quinn, it's a lot more visually interesting than Dead Pigs is. Dead Pigs is very sort of stripped down. Um, but Mumbai, have actually, if you go into Mumbai, there's a really great accompanying article where it like, highlights the things which inspired her to write to Dead Pigs, like the art uh, different artworks and um, t- this uh, person who was sort of like holding onto the house and holding up a whole building project, much like uh, Kafian's uh, character. So I think it's, um, as I said, I, I, for myself, it didn't do uh, anything much for myself. I think I enjoyed Harley Quinn a lot more. But again, Harley Quinn was the film which you could have also done with half an hour hacked off it. But maybe that's. Um, Maybe that's that's just gonna be a trait of her work now. I'm just gonna find them half an hour too long, as I find most films. Although, if if we're, if we're going off off uh, off off the reservation, I watched um, four hours of the Justice League film. <laughs> um, the the Did the, you? the the uh, Snyder cut. Yeah. If anyone ever asks, what's the job of the editor? <laughs> Show them that film. It's absolutely fine, but no film deserves to be four hours long. Um, and yeah. Well, it was supposed to be split into two. Mm, I think it was meant to be split and... into four, actually. It was meant to, I think he was trying to make it into a TV show, wasn't weren't they? The, the, well, the they were. This is the thing with the. the Snyder, when they were, when Slide was originally heading up Justice League, his plan was always going to be to do it as a two part film. And then he had a family crisis, which meant he had to step away from the project. And then Josh Whedon came along and just screwed everything up. So all the production team for like years were talking about, you know, you shouldn't judge Justice League on how it turned out. You should have like seen what the Snyder Cut was going to be. So for years it was like this this uh, whole mythos about this mythological cut. And when they announced it, it was going on to HBO Max. Um, they announced it originally it was going to be two parts. And then for whatever reason, they just sellotaped it into the, just this one four-hour feature that I've yet to... Ignore the studio cats a minute. I was going to say, they're um, not fans of Zack Snyder, your cat. Apparently, they're not fans of, <laughs> fans of the Snyder cut either. But um, no, it's it's it's, yeah. it's really interesting because I'm no fan of the Justice the 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 Whedon cut either. Um, but it's clearly the same film with the same story, and indeed most of the same scenes. Um, but it adds dark side in. And it, adds, it's got it's got know, extra stuff. Green Lantern Corps. It's got another seventy stuff. million pounds chucked into it and it's in 4.3 because I think he'd like it to have been on IMAX rather than widescreen. The CGI has been improved um, but there, there, are, there are entire scenes which are exact are, are both in both films um, they are cut in different ways 
and have completely different beats and they and it's mm. just really interesting to see how two people could have two different visions of the same story um you know i i, I it's probably only three and a half hours long there's 30 minutes of tacked on stuff at the end which is snyder's vision of where he like he would have liked the dc universe to be so i don't think they're necessarily you know there, there's a there is an ending there's there's clearly there's five parts of the film it's in for four chapters and an epilogue it was clearly designed to be cut up and um and the epilogue's just there as a as a bit of fan service to people i suppose but yeah it, it, it was fine but i didn't start watching it till 11 p.m on friday night and so yeah i was very tired all day saturday <laughs> so you didn't you watched it all through yeah I, which I is interesting which is what i couldn't do with the um it took me two attempts to watch the uh joss whedon version because it was just noisy cgi it was just very noisy and some of the jokes weren't very funny and and now what we know no. now now what we know about whedon um yeah, it's even not worse. Very funny either. <laughs> it's it's made it's made it somewhat even worse. Whereas, um, you know, Snyder you disagree or agree with his passion, um, and and his vision. He has a vision. You know, mm. I I didn't like Man of Steel. I hated Batman versus Superman. Um, but I think he's one. He's got a fantastic eye. Um, I don't want my whole world to be grey and super saturated like he seems to want to. But at least he's consistent. Yeah, and we can. You know, he has made two great films, just none of them are superhero films. And uh, yeah, it's it's it it, it it was watchable. It didn't make me. I know lots of lots of people are saying it's the best superhero film ever. No, it's not. Lots of people are saying it's dreadful. No, it's not. It's just all right. And you know, if you get a chance to watch it, watch it. If you can find four hours in your life, <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. It's uh, I've got a vacation coming up, so I might save it for that. But um, I have to say, it's not been a good time to be a fan of anyone at the moment. I mean, obviously, Joss Whedon gets brought up on domestic abuse charges. Richard Stanley gets brought up on domestic abuse charges. So, yeah, don't be a fan of anyone, kids. Just just be like on the level. I think I think that's yourself. I think that's the way you've got to be. I mean, as it ever was, I suppose. <laughs> you know, from Roman Polanski onwards, yeah. or, 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 or Alfred Hitchcock. You know, there's lots of people that we find out terrible things about. Um, separate the man and the woman, but usually the man from their art, if you can, unless it's um, reflect too too reflective on the person they are. But yeah, it's yeah, yeah. as it thou should not worship false Billy idols. <laughs> Yeah, if you obviously want to support us, though, we're more than happy to accept uh, accept that. So if you've got to support something to support us, um, you can obviously follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also, um, you know, hit the like and subscribe buttons. Leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to us. We do appreciate uh, all the uh, support you guys give us and uh, spread the word. Um, anything else you want to yeah, talk about? Yeah, um, there is. Um... So last year we had the Oscars and um, South Korean film won. Yay. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, um, just want to... I, I mean, uh, uh, nothing... Well, I suppose there's the Minari film, which is, is very much based in South Korean culture. But there is a um, interesting an international feature film, as, as that, that's now called. Um, it's a film from Hong Kong has got through to the final five called Better Days, directed by um, Derek 
Sang, who's Eric's son. Eric Sang of, of just about every Hong Kong film from the 90s fame and again also Persona Non Grata now. Um, I haven't seen it. Um, I do have issues with it being a Hong Kong film where basically it seems to be a completely Chinese film with Chinese main star, mainland Chinese stars and money behind it. But I guess the director counts as, as the nationality of the film these days. Um, but yeah, it's actually really, really rare for a Hong Kong or Chinese film to get through to the um, that, that that final phase of international feature film at the Oscars. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But I just wanted to just wanted to mention that. I don't know if the Oscars would have happened by the time you had it this, or, or will be long in the past. Um, who knows? It's hard to care about the Oscars because nothing really came out. I've just been on a podcast saying pretty much the same thing. It's the meh, um, the Oscars really this year. Well, and One Night in Miami, I think, has been snubbed. Yeah. So uh, people are upset about that. Um, but I suppose people, people, whatever happens with the Oscars, people are upset about something. So indeed, it's um. It's just the way you were describing it, though. It's sort of like a South you when you said about South Korean film winning last year. I thought you were going to say like a North Korean film was going to come and win. It's like not a huge amount coming out of North Korea in film wise. No, so. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a film about South Korean people, um, can, uh, starring a couple of big stars of South Korean film, did win Best Oscar in Minari. But we shall see. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. I've got nothing else to nope. add on unless you want to play the letterbox game. What's that? Uh, letterbox uh, post before we came on, they were asking you to name four Asian movies, one from each country. Right. Um, and I was just wondering if you had if you uh, had had anything to throw into the realm on this one because I was playing it before I came on. So I don't understand the game. Okay, basically, you have to pick four four Asian films. Yeah. But you can only pick one per country. Okay. Okay. Yep. So for myself, from Thailand, I picked chocolate. Yeah. Hong Kong, hard boiled. Uh, Japan was uh, paprika. Yeah. And South Korea was brotherhood. Okay. So that's what I went with. I don't know what you yourself because like... you're obviously more well travelled. <laughs> lim- I was going to say more limited to just three countries, and I just try and think of a fourth Asian country that I've watched cinema from. So wow, it's very, it's very interesting though because that's the sort of thing where I'd completely freeze up if you ask me. But yes, okay. So Japan um, audition, um, okay. South Korea mother, um, Thailand. Oh crikey. Um, uh, it doesn't have to be Thailand. No, no, I mean, no. I, 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 but I love films from Thailand, and now I can't remember any. <laughs> oh, Shudder. Um, okay. Uh, Indonesia, I'll pick um, The Raid. Yay. Um, that, that's four, is it? Yep. Yay. See, I knew you would go, like, somewhere off the map. It's... Yeah, well, that, as I said, when we when first started, you know, writing about Asian cinema, it was just you know, the three areas that you had to focus on. It was Hong Kong, uh, Japan, and then South Korea. Mm. And now, obviously, as people's you know have embraced world cinema as they all should, and you know realize that subtitles don't bite, we've got all these other areas, uh, as you said, like Thailand and the Philippines, um, opening up and presenting all this int- all this interest in new cinema. So when Letterbox obviously posed that question, I was like, oh wow, we have really come quite <laughs> a long way since the two thousands, haven't we? I mean, I get, I get, and 
something we might talk about when we talk about tonight's film, but that first glut of films in that in that Asia extreme mode that that came over on the back of the of, of audition and ring, you know, they were Japanese and sort of South Korea. Um, I think Hong Kong already had quite a following. Hong Kong cinema was already a thing. Yeah, um, I think Hong Kong definitely did because of when you look at the films from like the Hong Kong that were popular, it was like the heroic gunplay movies of like Ringo Lam and John Woo. Uh, they really established it uh, with China and Hong Kong. You obviously had Jackie Chan, Golden Harvest, Shaw Brothers. There was a real sort of establishment there. But when it came to like South Korea, I think the first taste anyone had was Nowhere to Hide mm. from 2001. And I actually post that on the Facebook group. It's like, who else is like first tasted of like South Korean cinema was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide in uh, 2001 for the Tartan Asia Extreme label as well. It, pro- it probably was a lot of people's first. Um, I I hadn't seen a South Korean film until you know Tartan put some out. I had seen Japanese films. I mean, there's quite a lot yeah. of artsy Japanese films. But, you know, you think about you know, some of my favourite cinema comes from Thailand and Taiwan. Um, but it's much more artsy-fartsy and not very much um, <laughs> extreme really at all. Um, we've had... Look, Do you remember what your first South Korean film was? I probably think it was a romantic comedy like My Sassy Girl or something like that. The first okay. one I remember being utterly obsessed by, though, was Old Boy. I, I, I physically remember watching Old Boy for the first time. Um, it wasn't my first, but it was the first one I thought, this is from somewhere else. This isn't from Japan. Yeah. This isn't from, I don't know, uh, Thailand or, or anywhere like that. This, this, this felt ostensibly a country I hadn't been to or known or visited. Um, cause a lot of a lot of South Korean movies have a have quite a Western vibe, don't they? I think think so. And uh, suddenly, when it, the thing when in, when the Vengeance Trilogy obviously came out, it felt so connected to like the Mikae movies. I didn't really get to like distinguish the real difference between Japanese cinema and South Korean cinema. And it was obviously when I saw Brotherhood mm. that I realised it was so like, oh wow, this is what. You know, it's got long to We have a director obviously playing with the same sort of budgets that Hollywood have, and at the same time producing a war movie that's better than Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, and 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 I think I think a lot of us sort of start in Japan, and then move. You move on to South Korea, and you just see these. Um, it's always the production values were so astonishing about South Korea movies, even back when. It's um, just across the board, isn't it? It's not just like movies. When you look at like the K-pop invasion mm. that we've had of the last few years as well. So, but you look at a lot of Japanese films, and they look like they're made for TV. Um, you look at South Korean stuff, and everything is just so yeah. The TV shows, the films, the the, the music, the pop mm. music, not just even the manufactured music, but music all over, is just so well put together so well produced um it was something like shiri as a film we've never really talked about but shiri was was oh yeah that was another the first yeah ones, wasn't it? That, that 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 again not a film i'm a huge huge fan of but you cannot deny it. it's got the production values of a of a pretty high budget hollywood film mm. I think it didn't help as well the fact that when we look at like the early 2000s, the movies that are coming across, and it's like Takashi Miike's like DTV era, 
And it's like things like um, you're seeing things like Violent Cop with uh, Beat Takashi Kitano and Boiling Point. These movies which don't even have soundtracks. They're just like stripped down to like mm. the barest elements. And not a lot's actually happening in them. And it's about you being engaged in these uh, performances. I mean, Boiling Point's about the friends going to buy a gun to take uh, out the Yakuza. And that's basically it. Um, yeah, it's uh, and they weren't, and they weren't, and they weren't great prints. Oh, I mean, you're right. The straight to the straight to DVD or straight to video um, films, a lot of them, um, they just picked up at you know, Tartan just went around picking them up at film festival. We'll talk, again, we'll talk about this in a minute, but you know, that these, you know, we went from the films of Ozu and, and Kurosawa yeah. to these. These guys who were the equivalent of, I don't know. I guess at the time, Sam Raimi and people like that, yeah, who were who were putting out these oh. low budgets. Or well, Abel Ferrara and people like that, who maybe maybe ten years earlier in the in the West, you know, have gone on to become, mm. you know, much more mainstream. But the, yeah, we were we were being shown films that most Japanese people hadn't seen. <laughs> but yeah, you remind me of the quality of the prints there, because we obviously had Warrior, who had the Lone Wolf and Cub films mm. uh, they put out, and you had Tokyo Bullet, mm-hmm. who were putting out like a lot of the Beat Takashi movies. I don't think Tokyo Bullet even exists anymore, but they were like all the um, Yakuza fug movies mm. they were sort of obsessed with. So, And I think they put out Gonin 1 and Gonin 2 as well. Uh, they had a real thing for Beat Takashi. Hmm. Who doesn't? But you know, go and listen to our other podcasts for that. For more on that, but <laughs> yeah, um, it's just interesting. South Korean films, you know, didn't look like that. They they looked these amazing, lush, professional, and there and there is, and don't get us wrong, there's plenty of now we see it, you know, Hang Sung So and people like that are doing very low budget indie fair but it wasn't what we we've just we've just been provided from a completely different end of the uh, of the business at that mm. time and uh, that, that's what always struck me with the south korean movies well it was, again when we look at the use of cgi in like uh in asian cinema it always seems a lot more like polished and nicer than when we look at cgi used even in like big budget productions in hollywood the cgi always seems like such an afterthought which is interesting because um, if you watch if you stay for the end credits you'll find out it's all done in south korea anyway in fact a lot of it's done in north korea <laughs> and that's the only people who ever visit north korea are, are filmmakers who are using their animation and cgi capabilities to get, uh, get episodes done isn't it simpsons is it that's done in South Korea I think. <laughs> yeah when they go to the production plant and it's like a sweatshop in North Korea and he's just a guy being poked in the back with a bayonet but I think, but I think actually the show itself is actually animated in South Korea um, they are the, you know, they, the it wouldn't, they are the, wouldn't surprise um, me but you watch any you watch any big CGI epic from the west you'll just see a bunch of Korean names go up page after page well you look at The Simpsons now, it's it's so hard to find an episode that is about the family unit mm. anymore. Um, although we did get the second of our um, of comic book in Kunuko's Courtship, which was really great, that just got shown here in the UK. I'm, I'm just a big fan of those those two. Oh. <laughs> it's, as I said, the In Love of... Uh, I think it's uh, In Love of Blob was the first one where, the, where she he meets uh, Kunuko for the first time and they have that Studio Ghibli homage. 
Um, and then this one that was just on now is about them facing potential parenthood. Um, and Comic Book died dealing with his own father's love, like um, never being there for him. So, it, what led him to becoming Comic Book Guy. But yeah, it's been one of the most surprising turns of the show, which a lot of people said has been treading water for years now. So, I can't believe it's still being made, frankly. But there's a comfort in it. You know what you're getting. And it um, works on so many levels, so it appeals to the larger family unit. Mm. Um, so. But you know, this is Asian cinema cast, not uh, yeah, no, Simpsons cast. cast. Yep. So, should we get into our feature viewing for tonight? Yes, let's do that. Do that. Do that. I don't know okay. why I said it like that. Let's do that. Okay. With a T and an H. So it's time now for our feature presentation with two thousands verses. Back in 2000, which now feels like an absolute lifetime ago, um, directed by Ryuhei Kitamura, who may be a director who sort of stands out as you or not, depending on what your sort of movie tastes are, but um, he was responsible for directing films such as Azumi. He wrote Battle, he was a producer for Battlefield Baseball. Um, he also did Sky High and Godzilla Final Wars. Um, he's had a brief dalliance with filmmaking here in in, in the West uh, with uh, Midnight Meat Train, which I don't know about yourself, Stephen, but I kind of enjoyed. That's the um, Clive Barker one with um, Vinnie Jones, right? The footballer. Yes. Yeah. That's right. I think I think he's only worked in the West since then. I think he's he's really a really unusual filmmaker. Is that he? He, he, he earned his chops. He, he went to film school in Australia and actually speaks fluent English. Went and had this sort of quickie career in Japan, culminating in Final Wars. So, about 2005, is that? Something like that? Um, um, yeah. yeah. For 2004, 2004. His final his whole career in Japan only really goes on for four years um, and then yeah he's mostly worked in the West since he's um, really not standard for a Japanese filmmaker at all um, I wouldn't say you know, he hasn't reached the heights of, of some of his contemporaries but he's probably been as successful in the West within like a he made a film for Shudder fairly, fairly recently um, he's a uh, yeah I think in the, in the horror genre he's not very he had this huge amount of, of productivity that's kind of tailed off now. But, yeah, interesting filmmaker all round. Just, just as unlike any other, you know, he's no, he's not like Mike or Sono. He's, um, and he's certainly not like Kurosawa and the people like that. He's uh, almost looking towards the West all the time, always has been. Yeah, certainly when you uh, look at his most recent film that he did was the DTV film The Doorman with Ruby Rose and Jean Reno. Um But no, uh, certainly when we look at it, look at the films of this era, though, I mean, we got... Uh, it's really around the 2000 that he makes some of his most interesting films uh, with uh, Aragami, Uzumi, 
obviously they're Battlefield Baseball, Sky High, and most importantly, Versus, which is the film we're obviously talking about tonight. And he's the sort of director whose general mind thinking behind his projects is, um, I've never seen a Yakuza and zombie movie. That'd be fun to make. And then goes off and makes them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the general thinking. Um, he's very similar to... Um, the director of Calamari Wrestler in that way, in the fact that he loves to put, you know, like kaiju into normal situations. So in Calamari Wrestler, it's a wrestler who becomes a becomes a giant calamari. Um, in Salaryman Koala, it's a salaryman who's a koala. So um, he certainly makes it the sort of films that only really exist in Japan, really. Yeah, uh, and, but... and 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 I guess we'll talk about this in a minute. This 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 film, so it's two thousand, but I don't. I think mm. that's a bit of a misnomer. I think it actually got released a bit after that. I was looking at some, but I got the um, Arrow Blu-ray, not which is what's inspired me to pick it here, and it's got tons of fantastic content. But yeah, it. So basically, sort of following on from before our break bit. Um, Tartan's Asia Extreme was was a huge hit, and they brought over films like we talked before, like um, Takashi Miike's Audition and uh, Hideo Nakata's Ring, and um, Brotherhood. Actually, that was a film that came over, wasn't it? That was all part of, and and, and Mirrors is another one. Yeah. Um, and and there were a bunch of, and they basically went to every film festival they could to pick up. Just what they hoped would be the next cult thing. Um, Sion Solo's XD is another one um, from from a, one of our previous episodes, and they picked this up. It hadn't even been released in Japan yet, um, and it's just some. I mean, he just it's not his first film out of film school, but it's pretty darn freaking close. It's his first feature out of film school, and it's. I, I remember watching, and it was highly lauded. And it came over, and it was just again unlike anything we'd seen. This hyperkinetic uh, um, yakuza versus zombies thing going on, it, and it was quite low budget, but really, really reminiscent of early Sam Raimi. You know, you could you could see it watch the Evil Dead, right? I mean, one shot he steals fright from that film, but <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was like nothing we'd ever seen, and. He never really makes another film like this again, apart from he does go back and he adds another 11, 12 minutes onto verses and sort of tidies it up later on. So there is a, another version of this film on the um, on the Blu-ray, which is a bit better. But he's also got a version on here called the FF version, the fast-forward version, which does the whole film in 20 minutes. And just edits just edits the key 20 minutes of the two hours out. And, and that, that's what I just find interesting about him, is that he's not shy about going back and looking at his own work and tweaking it and changing it. Um, but <coughs> there's nothing... Although he has kind of existed a lot in the horror genre. Not, not, not completely. I mean, he's made some... Obviously, he's made, he's made a Godzilla film, for God's sake, um, which has got one of the best jokes in it of all Godzilla films. Um... But, <laughs> okay, <laughs> just, just leave that one out there. What jokes that scene? Oh, well, Final Wars is the one, isn't it, where American Godzilla gets thwacked away in two seconds. 
Oh, you think that's the best joke? No, the best joke in uh, Final Wars is the fact that you've got one of the main characters is an identical look. It's uh, like um, a Stalin double. Oh, yes, there is that, yes. <laughs> so, as Jonathan Ross responded, as uh, told him when he met him, he's like, I really appreciate you casting Stalin in the film. <laughs> so, yes, um, and he was on... That's right, Jonathan Ross interviewed him on... Uh, was it Incredibly Strange Film Show, or was it Japanimation? Um I he did he, this is the thing he did two series on on Japan he did like a six part series which came after a three part series he did mm. and I can never find the name of the three part series but basically in the three part series he did he went to um, Hong Kong he went to Japan and he went to South Korea and he interviewed like the key directors that were really sort of being highlighted at the time by sort of like releases such as like Sound of Soccer. So he met like Stephen Chow. He obviously met uh, the director of this film and um, he didn't introduce Mike, which was very surprising, especially mm. because he was so sort of big at the time. But I think it was like. Um, Oh, there was a. I just remember him going like in the Japanese Japan episode. He was like going around and he was like he was like with one of these directors and he was all like, "Is this film good? Is this film good?" And just uh, pulled out a bunch of stuff because that's how I learned about Kashan and Wild Zero yeah. for that uh, one. But yeah, this is um, he had this interview with uh, the director of this film and he was like said that you know to be asked to do a Godzilla movie was like the same as a. Uh, English director being asked to direct a Bond mm. movie. He holds the series in like very high regard. I mean, he cites the Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla from 1974 as his favorite film. Uh, you know, fair play to him. But he also says that King King Caesar is his uh, favorite uh, kaiju, which probably explains why he randomly comes back in, in Final Wars, despite not having been in any other film since. <laughs> But yes, I, I, again, because he speaks perfect English, I guess that's why I probably remember him. But I, I've, you know, I have very strong memories of of that show and um, of King interviewing him, and 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 to know that King Ross, sorry, now I'm going King Ross. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just. But actually, his footprint in Japanese cinema is so short. That's what's really weird. Four four You've... four years and out. <laughs> I believe the the main reason is that when we look at like the the Asian um, the Asian Revolution, so these movies that came out really sort of ninety nine through to two that two thousand the early two thousand block, versus was in that very much in that second wave, mm. and you had films as you said like XT, and you had Siri, and you had um, Princess Blade and Freezer. A lot of these films weren't as good as the first wave, it had to be said, but they sort of continued the mm. sort of lust for J-horror and just see, seeing really sort of extreme cinema. And at the same time, we're seeing like all the Mike B catalogue come through, like Full Metal Yakuza um, and Food of the New Generation through like more minor levels. And I think it was... It was created very much by Tyson's Asia Extreme label um, here in the UK, and it sort of proved the undoing because you had all these other labels sort of pop up, and it became like the race to get the key titles. And it was the fact that they missed out on getting the host that really sort of proved to be the death note for them, unfortunately. Um, and now, thankfully, all their catalogue has been pretty much been picked up by Arrow, who have really sort of taken the mantle on and not only just doing Asian cinema but also um a lot of sort of 
exploitation cinema and genre cinema but they would have otherwise been forgotten so it's really great that they've sort of risen up and at the same time they teamed up with the likes of third window films and terracotta to um ensure that we're still getting these movies mm. that these films came out but i think because it was in that block and you as i said you had um things like azumi and you had all the Mike movies that come out we sort of remember it has been a bigger film than perhaps it was, and as such, we elevate him as a director. I, th- well, I, I, uh, think, with the film. I think that's right. So, like I'm saying, they, they got this film, it, and 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 it got delivered over here. And I, you know, I, I bought it on DVD, and I'm, you know, I'm, I think I said this last episode. I've never been able to watch it all the way through. I found it to be trite and amateurish. And nothing. <laughs> it's because you're not a 15 year old boy. Nothing that's going, Stephen. And and yesterday when I watched it again for this show was the first time mm. I've watched it from beginning to end. And interestingly, I then went through and watched a while. I watched the 20 minute version and I started watching all the documentaries about it. And it was only now, 20 years later, I realised what this film actually started. And and you know, I, I I think you would be hard pushed to say this film is a bona fide drop dead classic um that, that that holds your attention for 120 minutes unless you're going to tell me that but and maybe we'll talk about it in a little bit but it's so important in a certain sort of the people that worked on this film um alongside kitamura spawn off this whole new sort of japanese film that that again we haven't talked about a lot but but we probably will do eventually on this show. But should we talk about the movie first? <laughs> yeah, we can certainly talk about the uh, the film, and we certainly talked about its uh, influence. And I think when it comes to this film, I mean, this one's got a very sort of outlandish plot, so bear with us on it. But basically, there are 666 portals on F, which connect to other worlds and one of them happens to be in the forest of resurrection now we open in 10th century japan where lone samurai is seen taking on a bunch of samurai a bunch of zombie samurai um, only to be ultimately defeated by a mysterious priest and his league of warriors and from here we then flash to present day where two prisoners are on escape through the same forest um, where they end up meeting up with a group of yakuza um, and through this meeting they, things go a little astray uh, one of the prisoners gets killed and our surviving prisoner here played by Tak Sakaguchi um, goes on the run with a girl who had randomly been brought along with them who will ultimately play a larger role and soon the uh, Yakuza find themselves having to face off against the zombies because this has uh, been one of their main dumping grounds for all the bodies that they've uh, been hiding and now they're all coming back to life and whenever anyone dies in these woods they all come back uh, to life at the same time we've got one of the yakuza bosses who turns out to be a god of sorts um and is planning on opening the portal for on earth realm to um another realm and uh this is basically 
the gist of what is supposed to be happening in this movie because there is nothing but sheer insanity, gung fu, blood splatter, zombies, blood smeared on faces, slack fu, gun fu, um, body fu, amputated limbs, dirty crooks, even dirtier cops. It's just a whole smorgasbord of grungy delights that you get to enjoy and it's a film that is probably best enjoyed with friends like many of his uh films um so it may sort of play into our sort of enjoyment of this film also the fact we're not 15 year old boys <laughs> who this is pretty clearly geared at because i'm sure if i'd seen this when i was 15 this would be like my favorite movie of all time much like um nemesis yeah which is very similar it's um yeah it's it's very amateurish in terms. Oh well, no! no. Well, no, 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 it's no. not. It, it lives. It, it's it's Schrodinger's movie, right? Bits of this film, like some of the acting and some of the special effects, are naff as hell. And then there'll be a fantastic shot where um, uh, it will punch somebody in the face through their head, and then we'll get a shot from inside their broken head with their teeth showing and stuff like that and that's really smart and then it'll cut to a picture of him oh he's got the eyeballs stuck in his fist and he can't get rid of them and and it's hilarious so it's it's sort of gross and quite clever and hilarious the the policeman the chief of police and his sidekick are just fucking weird so much so they they all their parts stay in the 20 minute recut version which i thought they'd be the first people i dropped because they don't make an awful lot of sense and but then, Tack, um, what's the fella called again? The actor? Um, um, Tack uh, Sakaguchi. Yeah, who's genuinely a um, a really... Dis- I mean, he, he went on from this to become possibly sort of Japan's sort of greatest fight coordinator and director. Um, but at this point, he was an underground fighter. Um I was trying to find a quote. Um, oh, crikey. Yeah. I hear you met lead actor Tak Sakaguchi while he was fighting in the street. This is an interview <laughs> with, the, with the director. Yeah, that's true. He's a street fighter. He fought with a bear once and won. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd be dead of now, of course. He laughs. He fought a crocodile. He even fought a bull. <laughs> he's a real fighter. He's just like he is in Versus. He's a crazy guy, but I love him. <laughs> and he's now the action director for God- action director for Godzilla. We should bring some new blood into that series. <laughs> There's the fact he fought a bear and won. Oh, he had a crocodile and a bull. I mean, <laughs> this guy's—he's got amazing chiselled looks about him as well. He's really quite a striking character. But yeah. Um, I just I, don't, I think it's the first time I've ever bought a quote to the end to the show, but I loved it so much. Um, I decided to bring it to you, Edward, because yeah, it's and some of the action's fantastic. Really, you know, like you say, fifteen-year-old boy, fantastic. But 
this is very much the, it Boris I mean obviously when he cites his like inspiration he says obviously like Sam Raimi and John Carpenter um, George Romero so a lot of western directors he cites in there but at the same time you can see there's a lot of like influence from the likes of John Woo Ringo Lam sort of heroic gunplay movies the fact that nobody ever bothers to reload unless it's for dramatic effect mm. is very much on show here there's a scene where our Yakuza boss reveals himself as it being in full god mode where a number of characters are shooting him and he looks like he's dancing yep which he's just there like waving his arms around in his soul <laughs> so like when you watch it you're not sure if like he's just not realized what he's supposed to be doing or what's going on but frankly at least the film bothers to try and explain itself most of the time but i mean this is a film where we've got a prisoner with a, who has no name apart from prisoner and then his serial number so we're just going to refer to him as the prisoner for now because this is going to get really complex and an antagonist who's known as the man <laughs> so come on but... the prisoner the man the, the girl <laughs> no, no one has any names in this movie but do we really again it doesn't it's matter. that mentality do we need to know their and names and we and just need to know what do, they do because <laughs> as it as as it as the film sort of eventually plays out this is a battle that's been going on for hundreds of years and will go on for another hundred. Um, they are archetypes. I guess that's the point. They don't. They don't have names. They are just. They are just. They just are. And um, and 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 the, the, they're not human anymore. They're just replaying this drama over and over again. Uh, yeah, this is the this is the thing really because you have these characters and they, as we sort of learn as it goes on, they're basically reincarnated every you know so every hundred or so years and they just replay the same fight each time um trying to eventually get it get it right and as soon as we end the film like many years in the future they're still battling and it's very much like the two uh, leads of dead or alive mm. we look over the dead alive series these two uh, characters just destined to battle each other over the over the years i mean this this film that that scene i just mentioned about when he punches the guy in the face that that just gave me such a dead or alive vibe but of course years before dead or alive was made i think yes it is um it's yeah i mean it's low budget as hell the whole place the whole film is set in a single location of a of a forest that actually in the (laughs) blu-ray doesn't look as imposing as it did, because there's some stuff on standard definition on this Blu-ray, which is how I remember watching it. I may have even watched it on video, mate, originally. Not even DVD. And it all looked kind of dark and moody. On Blu-ray, everything is as shiny. <laughs> that you, know, you know the Yakuza that really dresses like a Yakuza in the bright suit and everything? The one who has his heart taken out? Yes. Well, in the in the original standard definition version, he just looks like he's wearing a suit. You don't really realise he's got a bright red tie and a blue shirt, and he's he's all he's very much like a dandy. You know, he's doing the old yakuza. So I'm going to talk like this because I'm a yakuza. You know the way that they do in, in every yakuza film we've ever watched. <laughs> but yeah, the colours really pop. Unfortunately, it does mean that the the forest looks fairly underpopulated and it's clearly the middle of the day rather than the middle of the night. <laughs> it just take away from it a little bit. But, but yeah. It's, uh... it's, yeah, this is a, uh, I mean, when we look at the basic plot line of this, I mean, obviously we, the prisoner meets with 
with uh, with the Yakuza. And then the, that meeting goes south, and he basically runs off with this girl into the woods, finds her body randomly, which he then magically manages to strip of its clothing in a swish of a leather trench coat is now like fully decked out in his best badass gear. All to the strains of a guitar. Um, and there's a scene later where he gets a pair of sunglasses off a fooled uh, villain, and he puts them on. It's like you hear the same like high riff guitar come up, and then he looks over at the girl, and she's gives this disapproving look, and then you hear this downward, <laughs> which is still one of my favorite moments of the film. <laughs> but the it's it's it, as a film, it's far too fucking long. It does the same shit over and over again, but it's got these wonderful, wonderful iconic moments in it and I, I think you just you've said it so well if I was 15 I think I first saw it I would have first seen it I would have been it wouldn't have been 2000 I would have seen it I would have seen it a couple of years after that so I would have been 30 so I was probably twice too, twice too old to watch it <laughs> um, and I found I found it a dra- I just thought these are just a bunch of mates hanging around in the in the forest waggling swords and guns at each other Actually, last night, I really rather enjoyed it. <laughs> I was thinking, maybe I'm regressing, Elwood. But it's, it's just... It's, <laughs> it's corrupting, yeah. But what I found fascinating was that this is the guy that then went on to make Azumi two years later. And Azumi yeah. is one of my favourite films of all time. And th- what he learns in that period from... Basically, it is him and his mates fucking around in a forest for a couple of hours, yeah? Um, to making what was probably one of the biggest budget Japanese films of the age at that time, and it's, it's a huge. It's, that's still got nutty stuff in it, and that's, that's a film we're going to have to talk about another day. But then he's able to to, to rein it in and make sure that these the the the, the, co- the cool stuff are are memorable moments rather than the whole thing just being one one set of what can I do now what, oh I've got a dolly what should we do with that oh let's do this with the tracking shot I mean the camera never sits still for god's sake it's exhausting I think again this brings it back to the the whole thinking behind the film of like oh wouldn't it be cool if we put these things together and it very much it, it feels like very much the case here he's got all these ideas of things he wants to put in together in a film and you know good to him he manages to string it all together in a coherent sense and i think the the big advantage of this film that when it came out we were still in the midst of like the takashi outlaw period so we were having films like dead or alive and city lost souls um and you were having uh just like you know these uh, yakuza fug movies that coming out so it fit very much in the general, the general sort of film consumption at the time, and I think that really did a lot of favors because it was sort of given us many things that we were sort of familiar with, but then like egging it up another like seven notches. So the fact is, like, yes, you got Yakuza here, but now it's Yakuza versus zombies, and and even like the zombie genre at the time for like Asian zombie movies. I mean, what I think we had like Bio Zombie, we had Junk. There wasn't that many around, so it also had that sort of like twist to it. And you throw in all the popular traits, such as you know people brandishing guns and firing randomly, and swords, and all these things that just set off like you know hits on the old action meter and you've got a really great beer and pizza movie and i think this is why i always 
when it comes to this movie, I think it is a movie that's best watched with other people. And like a lot of his movies are, certainly Battlefield Baseball was a lot more fun when I watched it with friends than mm. when I watched it on my own. Um, and that's a movie where, again, it's like, wouldn't it be great if we had <laughs> baseball, but it was also like Battle Royale where you could blow up your opponents and have zombies and chainsaws and have random musical flashbacks. And this was a film where the narrator of the film turns out to be the dog belonging to the old man who's watching the baseball games, which I think is up there with The Hills of Eyes 2, where the dog has a flashback. Mm, so. but And this this is what I was getting at earlier, is that now, you know, you and I, especially, you know, we, we equate Japanese cinema of a lot of these weird and wacky, crazy ideas and they didn't exist. You know, even Takashi Miike, you know, he was plowing his own furrow and he's got some nutty stuff, but this kind of organic-y, gory kind of action film just didn't exist. And so, so the people that he worked with, you know, they went on to make Battlefield Baseball, like you say. Um, uh, what's his, his assistant, um, Yamaguchi, um, helped make The Machine Girl. Which is another one of my favourite films, which is which takes this you know takes this baton and runs with it with a, and then his special effects guy um, Nishimura went off and um, worked with a what's the studio called Nikatsu, and they started making the films like Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl and Mutant Girl Squad, loads of these films that were just rubber rubber gore films, you know. Oh, like uh, Tokyo Gore Police and Meatball Machine. All, and... all those. But the you know, two people that worked on this film went on and made those films and made this mm. whole kind of katsu, um, what's it called, Typhoon Sushi? Or Sushi Typhoon. Yes, yeah? that's right. And, and that all comes from people who worked on this film. Yeah, it's a, it's a really incredibly popular subgenre. I suspect more popular in the West than it was in Japan, to be honest with you. I, I have no figures to bounce that up, but, you know, this film is it, it's hard for us to understand that before this film that sort of shit just didn't go down <laughs> in Japanese cinema yet it's what we think of you know we, we think of Japanese cinema being kooky and weird and strange and I think we certainly do now mm. I mean certainly at the at the start of 2000 I mean when you thought of Japanese cinema it was all like uh, Kurosawa it was like Thoughtful samurai movies, or, 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 and or, or weird sex, maybe. What's the one with um the guy, the people that? He... Oh, in well, the realm of the fences, you know exactly where I'm going with this, you know. But there was there were artsy films, and there were samurai yeah. films, and there were some there were some quite well regarded horror movies, but they didn't seem very scary to me. Kind of films, and then. You know, and, and you and I have talked a lot about the influence of people like Takashi Miike, like Sion Sono and and the like, but this film, you know, this is in in one film, Kitamura has spawned a whole subgenre of films that we absolutely associate with Japanese cinema. You don't get this kind of film in South Korea. You don't get this sort of film in Taiwan or Thailand or Hong Kong. Uh, it not certainly not before this happened. So whilst I still find the film childish and amateurish and a little over long, it's really hard to argue against its 
its importance. And from this film, you know, you can draw a line 20 years to One Cut of the Dead, which is the same low-budget, inventive zombie movie. <laughs> this time, instead of being Yakuza, it's filmmakers versus zombies. Yeah. And there's someone... I mean, it's... <laughs> well, perhaps I'm... Not not as big a fan of this film as I was when it first came out. There's still a lot of things that I enjoy in this. As I said, it gives you those flashes of things that are just so much fun. As we have the opening where it says it's Samurai vs. Zombies, which I think has only released and been done with the Kingdom, I want to say. I don't think we've really had much Samurai vs. Zombie movies. Um, there's the Kingdom, and then there was a, there's a South Korean film with the came out at the same time as the kingdom <laughs> had the same plot i can't remember what it's called but yes it's yeah that 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 it's putting zombies in you know zombie films in the west tend to be more like social critiques don't they on the whole um but this is yeah let's just slap them together with something else this is as a, you can when it uh, comes to the zombies in this movie it's just there because it's you know, it's just the threat of uh, you know you kill someone and then they come back as a zombie because of the the forest being as powerful as it is and this just the action scenes are so kinetic I mean obviously the fact he obviously has a trained fighter really hit sort of helps with those sort of fight scenes and we see this throughout his career especially when it comes to the action scenes he does know how to direct really kinetic action scenes and certainly is the case here as the the action scenes are just really great, whether you're seeing people doing gun play or you're seeing people do um, martial arts, there's just a lot to enjoy here. It's just the bits in between. Oh, there's these, there's, that, I remember uh, there's, there's a Matrix joke as well, isn't there? <laughs> he does with the, the policeman sort of pretends to do the old bullet time leaning back thing and <laughs> he does it in a really amateurish jokey kind of way and I was just thinking which came first but yes the Matrix was a bit before this wasn't it but oh yeah we also have the moment where the police officer shoots the cameraman oh yes yes in the the don't call me officer um which is I think at the same I think I'm trying to think of other times I've seen like an actor shoot the cameraman like that and I think Snow Beast uh, came to mind where you never see the Yeti creature but you get to see the cameraman get impaled on a s- snow ski because it's all shot from his his perspective oh, I see. yeah no it's um yeah I think we you know we could go all night going oh there's that scene there's that scene there's that scene you know it's um oh yeah I think it, this is I think, as I said, when we when we say it's a beer and pizza movie, I think this is very much what it is. It's so much fun to watch it with other people. If you're watching by yourself, it can be a little sort of tedious because you've got no one to sort of bounce off the craziness of it. Yeah, I I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. um, But I have to say that Versus in the last couple of years has really sort of had a revival of its... um, of interest and it's really become quite the cool favourite I've seen it so he bounced around I know uh, Zoe of its over shotgun covered it as part of her Extreme Cinema 24 she didn't like it but she watched it um, but yeah I, I constantly see it sort of like being bounced around now as this like this movie that's uh, sort of got the sort of cult cool status and it's kind of funny when you think of the other films that have followed in its wake and um, as we said already, like Tokyo Gore Police and Meatball Machine, and they've kind of like gone a bit sort of quiet. I mean, they still have their fans, but when nobody's really sort of out there talking about Robo Geisha anymore, 
but we're still talking about verses. We are, which which you know li- literally started it all. And I think it's fascinating that you know this 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 Blu-ray from Arrow only came out a few months ago, um, you know, and it's been fully restored, maybe to its detriment. Um, but it's got loads of extras on it. I mean, it's two packed Blu-rays. Um, so it's got the ultimate version, which we went back and, and did some more. But you know, the the fact that it has twenty years later been worth going back to, and, and sometimes Arrow don't do a terribly deep job. They, they they'll get a nice remaster, and that's about it. And then maybe you'll get a Jasper Sharp booklet or something like that this has got the full works um and that thing i think that talks to how important a movie it is even though kitamura is not one of the directors that i think will we will reference very often in the future and if we ever have done before i'll be surprised other than talking about azumi i think Azumi we've mentioned quite a, mm-hmm. quite a bit I mean that's just a really great pop samurai pop ninja uh, movie and I think that's one if you haven't seen Azumi I think definitely check it out I think Azumi again had that benefit of coming off the back of Kill Bill mm. so we were very much in the idea of like you know pop samurai movies and uh, wanting to see cute girls with swords and lots of people being diced up which Izumi really sort of de- delivers and he has a really awesome theatrical villain in it as well so <laughs> yeah straight out of uh, the swordsman movies by <laughs> from Hong Kong but um, yeah Azumi 2 is not bad 2, I can't really remember it's too not, much it's not um, he doesn't direct that but he also I didn't realise he also directed cutscenes for one of the Metal Gear Solid games on, on the GameCube I mean this is all in this amazingly compressed four-year period where he just went from nothing to to the enfant terrible of uh, of Japanese cinema and then just fucked off. <laughs> As you do. His uh, dream project at the moment is to direct a Mad Max movie. Oh, he's a huge fan of George Miller, isn't he? That's yep. another. And again, you, so... you can see that. I mean, you know, and obviously he, he studied film in in um in Australia as well, so that probably influenced his because uh... again that's not that's not what guys from Japan do. They don't go to off, off to Australia to to film school. They they either stay in Japan or they or they go to L.A. or New York. Yeah, they don't go to Australia. He's just always cut his own furrow. Fascinating character. Yep. George Miller, the man who took 30 years to give us for Fury Road, so no doubt he's probably thinking, for my co-dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I... But um, I, I think <laughs> if anyone's going to direct it, I mean, I, the problem is now that because Fury Road came out and it became this cultural touchstone that it is, that for someone like him to come along and do a Mad Max movie, I think would be really detrimental. Um, if he got onto it... You know, after Thunderdome, so then maybe he would. So I think that window opportunity is sort of slammed shut with Fury Road, sort of reworking the uh, the Mad Max world into something a little higher than it, than those original movies were. What I will say is, yeah, I, 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 I'm no one else but George Miller should make Mad Max films. Let's just let's just close that one down. But um, he did go back to Japan. I'm, I, I lied. He 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 sort of went back to Japan. So a few years ago, um, Warner Brothers had this kept trying to 
make American Japanese films, if that makes sense. So one of them was um, uh, Ken Watanabe's um, starred in a version of Unforgiven, and another one is uh, Kitamura made a version of Lupin the Third, um, which we've covered as part of its um, as the Ghibli remake, uh, Ghibli version. Yeah. Castle Cagliostro. Yeah. Uh, so he made a live action. He made a live action version of it, and it's dire, and uninteresting, and boring. So maybe he's not. Maybe he's lost a little bit of it. But I'd forgotten he made that. And I was, I was thinking, you know, it did, it did say from the director of Versus when I had to review it, and it was, yeah, it was one of the few films I've, I've literally turned off halfway through and never gone back to, and still written the review. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's always an interesting approach. <laughs> well, just, this was shit. <laughs> it might have got better in the how second do you, half. How do you write a movie about a review about a movie you've not seen the whole? Movie of. I, I well, mean, I it could have got better in that last. Could have, could have done, but it, what it couldn't do, it couldn't, it couldn't bring itself back. Nothing could have happened in the second half of that film that would have made it even palatable. I did admit I hadn't seen it all. Don't worry, but yeah, disappointing movie. But yeah, just, just, a, just a fascinating. And I'm, I'm glad this show gave me the opportunity to go back and watch it again because I think I would have had a very negative view of it still. And now I can at least see it for what it is. And and you've described it perfectly. Film for 15-year-old boys. And for two hours last oh, night, girls. I was a 15-year-old boy. I say, I mean, I say boys. I mean, 15-year-old girls may also like it. I just can't comment on what 15-year-old girls like. Uh, I, just know, I just know what I was into. When no, I was yeah, no. It's a 15-year-old white and, uh, boy film. That's what it is. <laughs> it's, it's, def- definitely is. So... Yeah, if you want something fun and disposable to rift on with your buddies, then Versus is probably the movie for you. Absolutely. That's or Mortal Kombat. I see. So, uh, further viewing, if you like Versus, what would you recommend pairing with oh, it? Crikey. Um, well, I think it's one of the films that we've talked about. Just to see where he went after this, definitely a zoomy. Um, it's a bit more pared down. Go and go and explore some of those sort of vampire girl versus Frankenstein girl or the machine girl or so. If if you enjoy the sort of the physical grungy lo-fi special effects that are going on here, try 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 some of those films. Um, I mean, I hope to bring one or two to the show in in later episodes. But yeah, there's nothing else quite like Versus. I don't think <laughs> that I can think of. Um, maybe some early some some of that second level uh, Mikkei stuff which you referenced as well but, but I can't think of anything that we haven't already referenced in our chat how about you? Yeah I mean a lot of it is going to be stuff that we referenced in the chat though I mean obviously the first one that leaps to mind would be Dead or Alive mm. which we've uh, covered previously on the show I think that they're both equally nuts as each other although this one's got more going on than Dead or Alive does um, I would also frame Wild Zero as well uh, which is another zombie movie. Um, Princess uh, Blade is more people fighting in the woods with swords, um, and is is pretty good as well. Although I think it's one of the more forgotten Tarzan mm. ones. I don't think it ever really got picked up after Woods. Um, I would also recommend checking out Battlefield Baseball, which I still think's it's fun. 
I think it's uh, it's it's definitely not without its uh, its charms though. I mean, yeah, it's, it's from 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 here. I remember reading reviews of this, and they said, ah, and the fellow who worked on it with him went and made this film called Battlefield Baseball. It sounded just like Blood Bowl, and I thought, yeah, I'm up for that. So it it, it took me on a journey for sure. Yeah, uh, you've also got Chambara Beauty. <gasps> yeah. Um, which is bikini girls and machine guns. Although there's a a moment in it where she's doing uh, like nunchucks with a shotgun, which is just straight out of Devil May Cry. The arcade, the computer game. <laughs> I'm not talking about the computer game. There's a film version, film version, not that awful video game that everyone bought for 360, which is just all pervs. It's like. Oh yeah, I appreciate Asian culture. <laughs> this is this is before you, the they all started like coming across in like masses. I mean, you look at some of these input games for like the Switch, especially because the Switch apparently's got no shame when it comes to the Japanese imports. You got that one where you have to squirt girls with your love gun or oh god, god, yeah, um, and there's the panty one as well of a similar idea. The old bloody panty ones, and they all have photo modes on because that's all you're going to spend your Saturday nights doing, hanging out with your fake virtual girlfriend, doing bizarre shots because you bought a copy of Dead or Alive Extreme. I mean, it is it is it is another show on another channel, but it is interesting how Nintendo have dropped the whole quality pretense on the Switch they had on every console handheld or, or under the TV console they've had. They've, they've always been very, very particular about what you can put on, on their devices. Um, certainly internationally. Um, but the Switch seems to have loads of <laughs> pervtastic stuff and visual novels and things which are basically just you know, walking mangas, aren't they? Manga simulators. I think it's... And they and and they don't seem to care. <laughs> I think it's because it's a portable console now, so it's something you can sneak yeah, off. Yeah, but the 3DS and things you know, they've had in the past, and they and, and whilst there was stuff like that, it was very much stayed in Japan. Um Yeah. And I get, I guess, a lot of it's also on the PlayStation Four. So I guess they think, well, they just want some of that sweet, sweet money because, you know, they're still paying off for the Wii U, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's never a good idea to name your console something that sounds like the same the previous console. I think that's what they learned with the Wii U. Although, although Microsoft decides uh, not for us as the linear linear progression of numbers. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh my god, that's a just a conversation for another day. I mean, how I don't even know what we're supposed to call the the Xbox Monolith. So I I can't remember what they're called now, but yeah. No, is it Xbox S Series? It, it is. X it's or? the S Series, and the X Series. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. We went. We went. We went. Xbox three sixty yeah. one variations thereof. <laughs> S and yeah. X. <laughs> it's all what it should have been, as we always said. It was the 360, then the um, what's that after 360? Well, it should have been maybe the 720 if they'd done it Atari yeah, so style. Yeah, 720. Which, they doubled it. it would, yeah, it'd be 720 and then the 1080. Yeah, that would have been perfect. And then come up with a new concept. That would have been perfect. But no, the PlayStation's been classy. You know, one through to five or yeah. Um, and now Xbox, it's like 
<laughs> we just make this. We just throw words at the screen. Well, as you know, my, my, Microsoft like, never made a penny out of Xbox hardware, so I guess they just they, they come and keep sacking the people and say, "Let's start again." They, they probably brought on the same the same like idea team that were behind Versus came up with the ideas. For, <laughs> Bring it back on message. For, well done, sir. <laughs> we just uh, we just throw things at it and just see what happens. But um. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a, there, there are definitely other movies, especially around this period in in Japanese cinema, that are definitely comparable to Versus. So it's not like it's like a one and done. I mean, you can even look at movies such as like um, Story of Ricky O, mm. uh, which is pretty much on the same same level, but that's like a kung fu in, um, in prison. Sort of yeah, the, 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 there are certainly the, the the gore level and stuff you can find in a lot of those Cat Three films of of the nineties Hong Kong cinema, but I don't think they've got the kinetic. I mean, this this isn't just got a few moments of kinetic madness. This is, I, I can't think of a moment where there's much rest. There's even a point in this film where where Tack seems to be, oh, the prisoner seems to be having a rest in the leaves. And I've never seen someone look so uncomfortable having a rest in my life. Because he just wants to get on and waggle stuff about. That's, it's Pretty much. it's weird. He's got a bear to find. I mean, that's the thing. Maybe that's maybe that was uh, the thing. He was just looking for a I'm, bear. I'm hoping that Tack versus the bear is on film somewhere. <laughs> Don't worry, it was a train bear. <laughs> it doesn't really fucking matter. <laughs> Even if it's only a little honey bear or something. It's like the Battle Wizards where you had to fight a trained gorilla. <laughs> oh, dear gosh. So hopefully the next film we choose will be more sensible and have no wackiness whatsoever. Well, <laughs> since we're on, on the topic, uh, next time you join us, we have actually not got one film, but we have two films as we're going to be looking at Japan's contribution to the Invisible Man genre as we look at The Invisible Man Appears and The Invisible Man Appears versus The Human Fly. Um, two films produced by uh, Bandai uh, before their production team went over to Toei. Um, unfortunately putting an end to what could have been perhaps a very sort of lucrative sideline for the for the company. But yeah, we're going to look at uh, their contributions to the Invisible Man genre uh, with those two movies, which are both available to, through Arrow Video and um, available on the Arrow Video player as well. So um, why not check them out and uh, watch along with us? Um, but that brings us into tonight's show. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you to my co host, Stephen. Pleasure as always, sir. Uh, if you haven't done already, uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Come and say hi. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you think we should be watching. We appreciate all your feedback. And, you know, hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. And uh, leave us a review as it all helps raise the profile of the show. Um, but again thank you as always for listening and uh, make sure you join us next time for our Invisible Man double feature but until then good night hey 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 Oh,
This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.